welcome to the STR Data Lab. Well, hello, hello, data nerds out there, STR Data Lab nerds, of course. Mariah Kamei here, uh, also, of course, here to tee up our next guest. This gentleman, I, I loved his strategy. I have to tell you, I have to warn you, it is quite different and unique compared to um, what maybe sort of the general stereotypical approach is for folks to invest in short-term rentals. Um, I think you're going to get a really big kick, especially especially going into a year where things have just sort of been turned on their heads, right? Like markets that have sort of traditionally performed really well for short-term rentals are, you know, potentially on the decline, going in a different direction. Property types that traditionally have performed really well for folks are also adjusting and changing and shifting. And this man, I you know, without overselling him, I think he had a lot of foresight into what might offer him more flexibility and also, you know, slow and steady returns on properties. So I'm talking about Kirby Atwell. He, uh, he's the host of the Living Off Rentals podcast and uh, he's also done a lot of other amazing things. He has um, worked with nonprofits. He is a veteran. He applies a lot of really pragmatic pieces of advice and strategies that I think you will value even more so in the year ahead, um, 2023, 2024. Okay, I'm done. I'm done overselling him. Please take a listen. Enjoy this episode. Oh my gosh, we're live. We're direct with Kirby Atwell of Living Off Rentals Podcast. Kirby, you and I were just talking about how cool your name is, man. Yeah, you know, it wasn't that cool when I was in like seventh grade and that Kirby's no? Dream World came out. Um, oh. And everyone was calling me this pink marshmallow. But Ew. since then, um, it's been cool because I'm like the only one. Um, so it's very Googleable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everyone kind of remembers you, I guess, when you have a unique name. hundred percent. Yeah. Your name is not John or for whatever reason at our company, we over index on Jamie's both male and female. It's very, and James and very, it's like, it's, yeah, there is, there is one poor individual that was like, fine, I'll just go by a nickname. Like <laughs> I'll be Jimbo. So, cause James is already taken. <laughs> and a new name. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, Kirby's unique. Mariah's relatively unique. Occasionally I find another Mariah, but uh, well, this is great. Well, well, sir, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, not only because you're also a fellow podcaster, but also because you have such an amazing journey to short-term rentals and to, to rent uh, to real estate. Hello, words escape me. Uh, <laughs> real estate investment. So Yes. How does how does one go from being a U.S. Army officer to becoming a full time rentalpreneur? That's the term <laughs> I, I'm using. But you tell me what you like to call yourself. Yeah, th I mean that's what they teach you first day in the military is how to take care of short term rentals. So it's <laughs> uh, a natural transition. Um, no, it was uh, it was interesting. I, you know, I, when I was growing up, I always wanted. I knew I wanted to be in the military. Um, I knew I wanted to serve. Most of the men in my family had all served uh, in different uh, time periods, and 
And so I wanted to do that, but I knew I didn't want it to be a career. So I knew I was very entrepreneurial minded. Uh, my mom was more entrepreneurial and uh, I really took a liking to that. So I knew that's what I wanted to do long term. Didn't know Love what it was going to look like. Um, and then, you know, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad while I was in the army and I uh, got really hooked on, on real estate investing. So, um, so I bought a few properties when I was in the army and then really got deep into it when I got out. And initially it was flipping houses um, and realized that that was sort of a, a treadmill that I was never going to get off of. And uh, it was a ton of work, uh, tons of stress. And I just built this faster and faster treadmill. Um, until finally I discovered long-term rentals and then very quickly short-term rentals and the power of short-term rentals. Um, and I've been hooked ever since I sold off. I had 24 wow. long-term rentals. I sold them all and said, this is purely what I'm focusing on, um, now. And so it's been amazing. It's just, it's a, it's been a life changer. It really has. Oh my gosh. I love that you went all in. You were like, we're, I'm going all in on this. Yeah. Well, firstly, I just thank you for your service. I think, you thank know, you. that's that's really important work you're doing and um, and did. And then also, I, I just always love when people are like, yeah, I was multitasking a little bit. Like I was also already buying properties while I was also, you know, busy protecting the country. No big deal. I'm like, well, that's yeah, those are life goals. Um, so, yeah. So talk talk to me about what was that moment that you I guess I'm assuming sort of new in your gut or or some some other place in your heart that you were ready to make that because again that's a big risk take I, risk taking moment I would say to say no I'm out I'm out of long term I'm going in on short term when did this happen what did that look yeah. like for you, that process that's a great question um and and this is kind of what I recommend to other people too it was and it, I, I hear this story a lot on my podcast of people starting this way but we moved, we yeah. lived in the suburbs of Chicago and we knew we wanted to move over here to Northwest Indiana, still sort of a suburb of Chicago, about an hour outside of Chicago, but a lot friendlier in the tax, uh, tax bracket or, uh, property taxes. And, uh, and so we moved over here and we bought a property close to Lake Michigan and we had this big unfinished basement that was a walkout basement. And we we're like, you know what? I keep hearing about this Airbnb thing. This is back in 2017. And, uh, and we're like, let's just give it a try. You know, worst case scenario, we put the money into the basement. It increases the value of our house and we can always use it as a long-term rental. So mm, love that's, that. yeah, so that's what we did. We were rehabbing our house anyway to move into because it was all 1970s original in there. So, um, so we ended up putting an extra about $30,000 into the basement to make it a one bedroom apartment, standalone, you know, separate entrance. And with that first summer we rented it out, it made $22,000 just wow. over those few, first few months in the summertime. And so we said, you know, we have whole houses that are rental houses that don't make that in an entire year. <laughs> so, you know, there's something to this. And if we can, you know, scale this and, and you know, start buying other properties, uh, it makes a whole lot of sense. So that's, that's kind of how that was the realization moment for us that uh, there's something to it. Oh my gosh, it's very cool. Yeah, that makes a lot. So you sort of had a prototype, right? Like a low risk prototype. Prototype. You're like, mm -hmm. no matter what, I'm putting equity into the house. You know, it's gonna you know help with appreciation. It's a little bit flexible in terms of what I can do with it. And then you saw the instant return on that. That's very cool. Well, how did that inform? So, so what's interesting about that, right? Which is like, I think what we hear more often than not, right, is folks being like. Yeah, I like I pick a very, you know, popular destination market to go into, right? Mm -hmm. But you were in Indiana. 
Like, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm sure that I, there are draws to Indiana. By no means am I saying that, but you're not necessarily you in a say? beach place. Yeah. What am I trying to say? Like, this is how I do it. I just offend my guests. <laughs> uh, no, no, I get that all the time. People, when I, whenever I post that I'm doing this in Indiana, people are like, why would anyone go on vacation in Indiana? And I'm like, <laughs> well, it actually, we're at 70% occupancy, you know, so it's, uh, there's must be some reason that people are coming here. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, like I've been thinking a lot about that too. I'm pretty new to the business. I do not come from, uh, well, definitely not from the army background, definitely not from the real estate background. Like it's, yeah. I mean, frankly, my parents were not like focused on like be an entrepreneur. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They'd probably be happier if I was like an educator, but like the, the idea that you have to sort of have all this acumen, you have to know all these things and then like pick this market. That's just going to be a vacation place. Versus like just looking in your own backyard, right? Like that's been one of the nice aha moments for me lately in this business is like, like we're in Colorado. There's lots okay. of draws for locals to go, you know, to little mountain towns or little lake towns. So did that shape a lot of your strategy? Was it sort of like I built the prototype and I should continue to explore these sort of, what are we calling them? What, what should we call them, Kirby? You know, I, I refer to these markets as utilitarian markets, you know, Ooh, where- I like it. You know, it, it can it can work. It, it can work as a vacation rental area, like in the summer, where it's mostly all people going to Lake Michigan and and the Indiana Dunes National Park, which is one of the newest national parks. You know, so so Very people cool. come here on vacation, but then it's affordable enough that people will book for all kinds of stuff. So it's not like the only thing people can afford this house for is a vacation. They can afford it for every. I mean, we we um, looked at the the reasons why our last several hundred guests stayed and it was wow. almost like several hundred reasons. It was like, you know, the, the craziest reasons that we never would have expected. And, and it, but it's, you know, it's better to have a house than a hotel room. So, um, so there's all these utilitarian reasons that people stay there too. So to answer your question, yeah, that's, that's exactly how it kind of played out. We, we looked at towns around us. Initially I thought oh, I need to be local. I've realized since then that you can do this at a distance, but I looked at towns around us and I, I said, you know, this, this town next door, it's called Michigan city, Indiana. It's uh right on Lake Michigan. It's an old industrial town, extremely affordable. Um, wow. And you know, these properties would work really well as long-term rentals, a lot of them. So I found what I thought would be the best long-term rental I could find. Um, and then just again, tested it out and said, if I, do this and it just doesn't work after a couple months, I'm going to pull the plug and then I'll, I'll rent it out as a long-term rental. And it was the exact opposite. It worked phenomenally well right from the start. And so then we were kind of wow. off to the races and then we started optimizing, buying bigger properties, buying multiple units, you know, two unit, three unit property and realizing that the income on that is just incredible. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how it just grew from there. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's super smart. Well, I like this because, you know, there is definitely an inherent risk always mm -hmm. in getting into this business. But I really like that you applied some very like smart sort of tactical approaches to that. You were measured in your approach, right? You didn't go all like what I think the takeaway for me as a noob would be is like you don't have to like go all in, right? And like yeah. <laughs> raise yeah. all the capital to just get started. You you made small incremental um, steps in the right direction, which ultimately led you to feel very confident about saying, nope, I'm all in on short-term rentals, right? That was a process over 
exactly. long did that take you, Kirby? Did it take you a couple of years? When did you go all in? It, it was, I mean, it was after I experienced that first separate house that, yeah. that and realized the power of that started calculating the numbers because it was cash flowing about a thousand to fifteen hundred a month of you know net take home after all our expenses on an extremely affordable property and so we're adding it up and I was a CFO of a nonprofit at the time um, wow. and so we we added it up and said okay if we can get to eight of these we'll feel very comfortable with me leaving my job my wife was already staying home with our three kids and so um, so that's what we did we just kind of started plotting toward it at the same time selling off. The long-term rentals, which were just very unpredictable, never mm -hmm. really, um, you know, on paper, you could kind of calculate cash flow, but then you'd have a tenant move out, destroy the place, and you'd have to put all your um, money back into re rehabbing it. So, right. Um, so yeah, so so that's kind of um, how we, we we organically, like you said, organically grew, and I think those are the the companies that that I look at, and I I tend to see the 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 best uh performance or i guess the most success are the ones that that have a little bit of success they figure out how to grow that success and incrementally grow as opposed to like you said just raising a ton of capital and going in and buying a thousand units all at once and hoping for the best yeah 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 there's definitely an element i think and even maybe more so in the future of like slow and steady wins the race right and and you know for anyone that again maybe sort of is just starting out or has some potential misconceptions about how fast success occurs because right? I think there is a, a decent amount of people that you know were super smart but also just got into the market like right in 2020 and were yeah, able to yeah. like because <laughs> like, exactly. what you're talking about is you know way before 2020 way before 2021 that you know you you have to play the long game when it comes to real estate and what we're seeing a lot in the numbers for 2023 is you know a tale of sort of very different markets we're definitely, we spend a lot of time looking and talking about where supply is sort of jumping the shark, where we're getting oversaturated, how that relates to what demand is doing. And, you know, thus far, given all the potential tumultuousness of 2023, we're still seeing a lot of high travel demand. It's just that supply is slightly outpacing that in a lot of key markets, right? So what's interesting about your approach, I'm to connect some dots and maybe take some to jump to some conclusions. I'm rolling out my jumping to conclusions, Matt, for you, Kirby. You know, if you if you were one of those people that sort of over-invested or not over-invested, but invested heavily in a destination market, you might be now feeling the pinch from a competitive standpoint. Whereas for you, you're in a market that maybe people never has occurred to them. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's it. And and I've always taken the approach like, and, and it was tough in 2020, 2021, 2022, when I'm looking yeah. at people owning properties in these beach destinations that have doubled in value. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I, I have properties, they're, they're all, you know, they're appreciating, but it's way more steady growth, um, much more conservative. And so my approach was always, these need to work really well as long-term rentals. So I have a backup plan just in case regulations change anything occurs with the economy, whatever, I can sleep comfortably at night knowing I can switch them all back. I still have great positive cash flow on all the properties um, and, and it's no big deal. Um, but uh, yeah. I think there's other people who, you know, have bought at the top of the market just purely based on cash flow, not looking at the, the underlying yeah. value or backup options. 
Um, and now, like you said, they're, they're feeling the, the pinch. And I thought it was, it was interesting because I, I always look at the air DNA, um, you know, the projections for the, the top markets for the upcoming yeah. year. And last year it was a lot of like, I think, um, uh, it was, it was a Hawaiian market as, yeah. as one of the Maui. top ones. Mm-hmm. Maui, yeah. yeah. Well, we got, yeah. we got some flack for that one. <laughs> oh, <did it> really? <laughs> yeah. So, so Maui was top and, and there was others similar like that, like vacation, like, um, beach, you know, yes. um, higher end areas. And, and this year, like none of them really aligned last year with, with my <laughs> type of markets this year, all of a sudden I'm like, what the heck? It's like all markets right around me in Michigan and Indiana and <laughs> the Midwest and Northeast. So, um, very affordable Uh-oh. markets. So I think people are catching up. I was about to say, this is like, it's like a, you're like, well, thank you. That's very validating. And also you're like, are you driving people yeah. into my market? Is that what, thanks, thanks for that. That was my best kept secret. Exactly. <laughs> Stay in Hawaii. Uh, no. Yeah. Go back to Hawaii. Oh my goodness. Well, so, so, so it sounds like you're, you're sort of poised again. You've got your strategy is slow and steady, responsible growth flexibility in the in your investment strategy so that you can always sort of pivot depending on what happens with travel demand what happens with other things you're looking for destinations that have a utilitarian draw right so it may not be just about some you know high fluctuation in occupancy due to you know it being summertime and everyone goes to this town but there's something slow and steady that is pulling people in um, that may not need you know sort of permanent residence what are you ch- so my loaded question you're like where is the question mariah <laughs> you're like you're just making a bunch of statements is what are you doing differently in 2023 how are you pivoting your strategy or or is it more of the same yeah so that's a great question um and there's there's sort of analogy that um i started thinking through recently actually just over the last couple of weeks because i uh i've i've been in the process of trying to buy a new treadmill and i've done way more research on this than i ever should have i've spent <laughs> way more time on it uh i've got this old one that like you know it's a, a decent running treadmill but it's it's old and it like probably is terrible on my joints um mm-hmm. so i've been kind of looking at two types of treadmills i've been looking at the, the under desk one because i've got a stand-up desk here oh yeah and the kind that you know people say they can add ten thousand steps a day just by while they're working, just by walking slowly. And these treadmills, like the, the top one on Amazon is like 450 bucks, like 4.9 star reviews. Like people love this thing. Um, and then I've also like kind of been debating, should I just bite the bullet and get the nicer commercial style one that you can, it's got all the bells and whistles. Like you can run super quickly on, um, you can do all kinds of workouts on. And yeah. I was looking at those and I can't find one that's really over much over a four-star review huh. and that costs about, you know, 4,500 bucks, like 10 times as much, but the reviews are like super critical because the expectation is super high on that I treadmill mean, because it's like high end that people are paying 10 times as much. The, re- the reviews on the $450 one are through the roof. And so you look at both and you're like, well, the, the, the commercial one must be making a whole bunch more. And it's like, well, sure. maybe, but how much does it cost to to create all that technology, build it, you know, maintain it, the customer service with high, you know, with higher end customers who have yeah. high expectations compared to the utilitarian model. That's very just like, 
it does what it's supposed to do. It doesn't, you can't run on it. You can't incline it, but it just keeps my feet moving all day. And, and it's, and so, so I kind of yeah. like was thinking about that and I'm like, that's really the difference between, so there's like almost like two models in the short-term rental space. Totally. Where there's, there's that, that commercial model of uh, or commercial treadmill type model where it's like the high end, you're, you're paying yeah. a lot more for it up front. You're, you're delivering a different type of service that the expectation is much higher. It costs a lot more. Um, right. Or there's, you know, the model that I have that almost, I mean, we have well over a thousand stays and, and almost all of them are five stars. And people say, this is the best Airbnb I've ever stayed in because wow. people's expectations are set that it's, you know, a hundred, hundred and fifty dollar a night, two hundred and fifty dollar a night stay, depending on the season, but it's very affordable. And we it's easy to deliver over deliver on that type of um utilitarian type of short term rental. And so the profit margin is super high because our costs are super low and it doesn't take a lot to manage. So um I love this. so that's that that's the model that we stick to. And so to answer your question, that was a long-winded way to answer your question. No, it was great. Our, uh, I love going on a journey like that. And <laughs> I love a good analogy. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it it kind of helps you uh, wrap your head around it because I get all the time, like we were talking before this, people are like Indiana. Who who's going to go on vacation in Indiana? And I'm like, yeah, but there's people who live in Indiana, for right? Starters. Exactly, or <laughs> Chicago. They just want to get out of the city and come over here and go to Lake Michigan or whatever. But it's nice. like, you know, people travel for work, people, anywhere people live, there's going to be weddings, funerals, um, you know, all the utilitarian reasons. So um, if you can capitalize on that and be the best in that market, which is actually easier to do than in a market where everything's a million dollars plus, um, you can do really, really well. I love this. Yeah, there's so much interesting sort of stuff in there. And, and I know you have an MBA, so I'm guessing that sort of helped you like think about like the unit economics and like all of that fun jazz because yeah there's you know that's a very very good point if you are paying a thousand dollars a night for an airbnb your expectation is so so high (laughs) right for what that experience is going to look like uh versus if yeah you're sort of like no okay i paid 250 and i got you know better value out of this than i would have gotten if i'd paid 250 at a hotel and i'm super happy so lowered expectations, I think, yeah, under, under promise <laughs> over deliver, yeah, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And the bar is set much lower at the 250 in terms of your competition. Um, there's people who yeah. like roll out of bed and take a picture of their room and they're like, I'm going to put it up on Airbnb today. So that's kind of the competition you're dealing with uh, at, at a certain level. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, like people... People are putting a little bit of less effort, so you have low-hanging fruit in terms of just a little bit of step above that. Exactly. Um, and I will say, kudos to you. I'm not going to have the stat because I'm I'm generally the comment color commentary on this podcast, but um, there is a beautiful stat. Maybe I'll get it in the show notes for folks around just how important those five star reviews are for your ADR, mm. right? So like yeah. that that concept of again making sure that you're myopically focused on those reviews and getting those five stars 4.9 as often as possible and making sure that that's achievable for you, right? Like give, set yourself up for success there, folks. Don't make it impossible to get a five-star review. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't lie to yourself in terms of what your business model is. If you're not yeah. somebody who's going to be ultra, ultra focused on making sure every single detail is perfect, 
And why right. do you want to attract people who are going to have that expectation in your house and just have that headache all the time? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think that's what would keep me up a lot uh, at night a lot. I, I'm not a short-term rental preneur yet. I have I have a long-term rental, but you're right. Like that would, I literally was just talking to him about this. I was like, yeah, no, like it's always, I'm on pins and needles. Like, did you get into the house? Okay. Are you happy? Are you satisfied with the experience? What's going to potentially go? <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh my goodness. So, so it sounds like a lot more of the same sort of doubling down on the value that you can bring to the space. Dare I ask you, sir, and it's okay if it's not us, but how are you determining sort of what that value ratio is? How are you pricing? Yeah. You know, it's the, the way I initially figure out uh, um, a market because I, I help other people kind of get started with this same model as well. Yes. And what I recommend is is to go to AirDNA first and oh, look at- Oh, thank you. Good. The, <laughs> <laughs> AirDNA is the best. Uh, <laughs> so go there first um, and just look at, even just with the free, mo the, the free version what yes. the average is for each market. You know, what's the average nightly rate, the average occupancy, um, and then compare that to the average purchase price in those towns. And so if you start mm. to list that out and you start to look at, okay, this town that I never would have thought was a short-term rental market has a purchase, you know, typically what you'll see is like, it's going to be within an hour drive of a city, but not in the city. So if you buy something like 30 minutes outside the city, the average purchase price might be a fourth of what it was that same house in that city. So you're buying it for a fourth, but then the average nightly rate, not average occupancy might be 20% less or 30% yeah. less. So when you start right. to look at your return on every dollar invested, your ROI is absolutely through the roof compared to what if you go to just defaulting to that, you know, city uh, location or yeah. a more traditional vacation rental location where the price points have have really really appreciated so yeah. so it's kind of like this this value play and i use AirDNA to figure that out because um, it's so convenient you can see in any market um where the uh what the nightly rate and occupancy rate is we definitely strive to make it convenient uh <laughs> yeah and offer as much for free as possible yeah well that's that's awesome and then are you, what's, what's, I mean, I feel like you're the kind of guy that might have a five-year vision here. What's, what's <laughs> next for Kirby and the fam? Yeah, it's a great question. What's up so, for the Atwell fam? <laughs> Not to get personal. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, that, we, we do talk about that a lot. Um, and that's actually what has led us to where we are right now. So we moved from that property on Lake Michigan to a 45-acre farm, um, which oh, wow. is- not too far from Lake Michigan. We're still about 10 minutes from Lake Michigan, um, but it's in Valparaiso, Indiana. And uh, absolutely a lot of our kids. So we, we didn't have any yard where we were before. We were on like the sand dune that was like super steep. Oh, wow. And so we went from that to 45 acres that our kids can run around on. And so, um, but part of the intent with that after experiencing the first one in our basement was let's build this out. You know, let's, let's yeah. kind of land hack where we can buy this old farmhouse that I'm in right now. Um, and we rehab the farmhouse. Then we took an old barn. We rehab that and turned a corner of it into a Airbnb. Um, Very cool. and then we've got a 35 acre, um, uh, hayfield that's surrounded by woods. And so, uh, the intent long-term is to start to build those out Again, organically, I don't think I'm going to go out and take out a you know two million dollar loan to start 
you know, building 20 of these structures at once, mm-hmm. but, you know, start building a few at a time um, on the outskirts of this hayfield kind of tucked in the woods. And, um, and I think there's going to be a, a pretty big draw just based on our barn BNB being pretty much booked up all the time. Um, and so that's the intent uh, over the next few years. It's not like a, a rush at this point. So. Very cool. Again, slow and steady wins the race. I love all of the strategy. <laughs> Kirby, my next question for you, and sorry, feel free to ask me questions. Uh, <laughs> you know Thank how you. this goes. You've got your own podcast. <laughs> what I want to know, maybe more anecdotally than anything, but are there things that you applied from your time in the military <laughs> to your time in the army to how you run your business today? Are there some like pro tips, some military hacks that we should know about? <laughs> well, I don't have to carry a gun anymore. Um, which, is which is lovely, good. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's there's a few things. Uh, the, the main thing I think, so I went to West Point uh, Military Academy and wow. uh, it's uh, you know pretty intensive in terms of you know just the structure of things um and especially as a, as a freshman there as a plebe well, you know yeah. there's all these things you have to like you can't talk outside your room you gotta like march everywhere you go you um have to do all these duties and um you're always getting yelled at for stuff and you you know <laughs> meals you're serving all the upperclassmen and stuff like that so um right. so you learn attention to detail you know it's a high yeah. pressure environment purposely you know so that you'll be able to respond under high pressure in the future. Um, and you learn attention to detail. So I think that's carried with me and some of it's a positive, some of it's a negative, probably my wife would say, um, (laughs) in terms of, you know, uh, having structure and just not, you know, not letting the details slide between the cracks. And so that's absolutely, uh, been key in, in short-term rentals because you have guests coming and going all the time. And so you've really got to have a good system around paying attention to those details because that makes a huge difference when guests show up. And Definitely. yeah, so that's, that's one thing. And then I think, I think the other thing is more, I guess, probably more f- from the standpoint of being a long-term investor first, this was something that um, I had to really, it, this probably isn't a good answer to your question, but it's, it's something that's that I would recommend, <laughs> I recommend to people if they're coming from the, the long-term rental investing world, that you've got to really change your mindset. Um, I think I, you know, especially with the military background was more like very practical mindset mm. and thought in dollars and cents. And so uh, a three bedroom house is a three bedroom house in terms of, you know, it's going to rent the same no matter what you do to that. If you put in super fancy finishes or, or not, you know, it's the rent for a three bedroom house is the same in that town. Okay. Um, but, and so I kind of carried that into the short-term rental space and my wife is the designer in the family and she was like, no, we need to do this and that and it's going to cost more. And I was like, no way, we got to you know, keep it very <laughs> simple. And, and then I realized we're actually, once I, you know, she convinced me to do some of these things, we were exponentially rewarded for it. You know, you, you're that unique factor and these, uh, you know, the, these Instagrammable type of features make a huge difference and, and you do get uh, a much bigger reward for it and compensated for those things in the short-term rental space. So it is a, a different type of investing, that's for sure. Oh my gosh, that was a great answer. That was an amazing <laughs> answer. Firstly, all I heard was listen to your wife. So, I mean, mm-hmm. your wife is always right. That's what right. I heard. That's but I think, I think that's 
<laughs> yeah, right. I think that's such a good point. And I've, I've heard a lot of that sort of being, you know, a success story for lots of folks in this business is when they kind of like find their counterpart, right? So you're mm -hmm. like, so it sounds like you and your wife make a good team. You're yes. very much looking at the numbers and the practicality part of it. She's like, look, we got to add a little heart to this. This is about providing <laughs> an experience for people. This is about that Instagrammable moment, right? Like this is how people are shopping and choosing where they're staying. Oh, this yeah. is amazing. Well, yeah. how much, how hands-on are you or how have you sort of, I'm guessing you have some efficiency there as well with sort of how you're managing these properties. Yeah, they're all um, quote unquote self-managed. We're up to 21 listings. Well, we're about to put our most recent triplex on, which will be 21 listings. Oh, congrats. Um, Thank you. And we own them all. We don't do any um, like uh, co-hosting or anything like that. I thought about it for a while, but it's just not my passion. I like owning the properties. And so initially I thought I needed to be super hands-on. That's why we mm -hmm. picked the town right next door to where we were living. Right. Part right. of the reason. Um, and so I was going there when you know we had maybe an elderly guest that couldn't figure out how to use the digital lock. And on a Friday night, I'd go there to unlock it, or I'd go there to fix the Wi-Fi or you know, all the, the little things that can come up, supplies, yeah. you know, that, that the cleaner forgot to leave out, I'd drop them off. And then I realized, what am I doing? I, I've ru ruined enough Friday nights with my family or, you mm, know, it's, it's right. actually costing me a lot more money spending the time going over there. So then we started putting systems in place about a year after we started doing this. And now there's properties I haven't even visited in over a year. Um, wow. And they're you know, 20 minutes down the road. And and that's because we have a great team. We have a great handyman and a great cleaner, boots on the ground. And they've, we came up with lists of every possible thing that could ever come up. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been Very assigned cool. to one of those two people. And we have an agreement with them that if this is the case, then they're responsible. And then we have redundancy in place in terms of, you know, backup cleaners and, and a backup handyman. But so that that's how we manage that aspect. And then once we got to five properties, we brought on a guest relations person who actually lives in Florida. She's never been to Michigan City, um, but she knows it better than most residents. Uh, wow. And and she does all the guest relations. So she, uh, cool. you know, um, does all the bookings, lines up the cleaners, all the day-to-day -day activities. So we're really not super involved in the day-to-day. -day. We're not paying anywhere close to 20% to a vacation rental manager. Um, it's all in-house. It's hourly work. Um, but we have some really tight systems in place. I love it. You, that doesn't surprise me at all, but that again is some really practical advice for folks on how you can, you know, operate with more efficiency and also not have to waste your Friday night, spend your Friday night with your kids or whomever. Yeah. Um, exactly. That's fabulous. I love this. Well, Kirby, I've had so much fun with you. This has been amazing. It's been great talking. I, I know. We, let's do this again soon. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I would love to play a short game with you. And then I want you to tell people how they can get more wisdom from you. Are you, okay. are you up for a game? You up for a game? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's Stump do it. Stump me. Yeah. Well, no, hopefully not. <laughs> it's, 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 I, we try to keep it simple for people. <laughs> and also there's no real rules to this game. So feel free to break them if you need to. It's called who, what, where. So the first part is who, apart from yourself and your podcast, would you recommend folks either just starting in this business or looking to scale or increase efficiency or, or, or profits or anything? Where should they go for in who, who, not where, who should yeah. they go to for inspiration? Yeah, that's a great question. 
and it's probably evolved for me a lot over the years. I try to look at people who I feel like have experience that's created a lot of wisdom um, in their advice. And so there's two people that kind of stand out in my mind. Um, I subscribe to Seth Godin's uh, daily oh. blog. Um, yes. And so I've read a bunch of his books and it's just like every every day he sends a daily blog in your email and it's it's like a paragraph, but it's like yeah. you summed up exactly what I was thinking about or you know, a problem that I, you know, was wrestling with in a paragraph so well. So I'd recommend subscribe. His blog's been around for like the last 25 years. He's done a daily yeah. blog that he sent out and it's super short, super consumable. So that's one. And his books are great. Um, and then the other one is Greg McKeown. I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, he yes. wrote Essentialism and um, Effortless. And uh, Effortless is the new one that he came out with like a year ago. And both of those books I've read many times, especially Essentialism. I read it like every single year for the last like eight years or something like that. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's such great. Uh, it, it, so many people struggle with the same thing, like too much on their plate. Right. Not knowing how to prioritize, like spending time on things that aren't that important in the end. And so it really helps you walk through um, how to get to the essential things that make the biggest impact in your life. I love this. All right. Well, I'm going to add both of those. First of all, I love that he's kind of going with this alliteration thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, I'm going to put both of those on my reading list. And thank you. You just like you. Funny enough, because the next question um, is a little bit about that. But I, you just made me, I haven't, I haven't explored Seth Godin in a minute. So I got to go back and yeah. check him out. Um, but yeah, I love that sort of daily wisdom in your inbox and also love that, you know, those are two probably out of category folks, right? Again, just mm -hmm. great folks to add. All right. Well, you nailed that question. I'll give you an A plus. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It'll hopefully bring up the other scores. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next question was, is a what question. So Essentially, what do you wish you, you know, knew when you first started that you know now? Like, what did you, you know, what was the ch the thing that like would have been great to have the cheat code on, but yeah. instead of having to learn it on your own? <laughs> um, I think the turning point or the thing that made the biggest difference for me was going back to when I, again, when I was married. So it was probably like a lot to do with my wife again. Um, <laughs> we were married in 2015 uh, and shortly after that, you know, I was still doing the flipping company at the time and on this like giant treadmill. And so we started right. to have a lot of talks around like you know, our future, what we wanted that to look like. And, you know, I think a lot of people create goals based on, I want to, you know, like have a certain job. Like I want to be this type yeah, of, yeah. like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, or I want to do, you know, construction or do some type of work. And I think you like pre-assume a lot by, by, having that be the goal as opposed mm -hmm. to what we finally got to is, okay, what do we want our day to look like on a daily oh, basis yes. in an ideal scenario? Um, and so I went from sort of chasing what I thought success looked like to coming up with my version of success in like a perfect day. And, and for us, it boiled down to like autonomy, you know, controlling our, our time and impact, right. um, those two right. things. And so to get there, we were going to need to get to financial freedom where, you know, we, we didn't have to work a full-time job. And, and so we were able to use it. And, and we realized actually the number that we needed to get to was a lot lower than we thought to have our ideal lifestyle. Cause a lot of it just revolved around 
flexibility um, and freedom. So, um, so once you do this, it gives you this amazing destination to backwards plan from, and all of a sudden decision-making and the next step to take come into focus so much easier. And, and um, so if people are struggling, like, where do I start? Should I get into this type of real estate or that type of, you know, uh, investment or whatever? Should I do short-term rentals or not? Like start with your ideal lifestyle five, 10 years down the road. And then what's the thing that's going to support that the best? Um, And you can backwards plan from there. And I think that's a great first step to take. So. That's great advice. I'm going to, all right, well, I'm penciling in some vision boarding time for my husband. (laughs) (laughs) We're long overdue for that, but so smart. And I think what also boiling it down to like, what does a perfect day look like for you helps you also, I think, understand what you value to your point, right? Like, because you may sort of need to explore what, what really is, is it about, like you said, autonomy? Is it about making a gazillion dollars? Like, what, you know, sort of what is the the ideal situation for you from a value perspective? And then you can work your way into, okay, what's going to help me support those values, right? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I'm going to be you another A+, plus, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. All right. The, the, la- the last and final question is the where question. Um, if you could hop in, a, in what I like to call the hot tub time machine, um, just because it's clever, huh, obviously. Uh, <laughs> if you could go back in time, again, knowing what you know now, where would you have started to invest, Kirby? What was the, what's the market or the property that got away? Oh, man. I mean, I think everybody, because I, I, I've asked a similar question quite a bit on my podcast and, and everyone's like, I just wish I would have started a lot sooner and, you yeah, know, and been yeah. more aggressive and bought a lot more properties and that sort right. of thing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's true. Knowing what we know now, like, you know, the last decade's just been <laughs> phenomenal for, for anyone in real estate. But uh, I think one thing that I, you know, just, it really, um, I'm like, dang it, that one really kind of, uh, would have been a great opportunity is I, so I, when I was doing long-term rental investing, uh, in, this was like 2015, 16, I came across this 11 unit property in yeah just outside of Indianapolis uh, in uh, uh, Noblesville, Indiana, Indiana, which is a, a suburb, a pretty nice suburb of Indianapolis. And, uh, and it was just like decimated. It was like, you know, there's squatters living in there and stuff. So I got it for like almost nothing. And my, the crew that I had in Chicago, they drove down there and, and basically lived there and rehabbed it, all 11 units. And it turned into this beautiful property. Um, and, but I was up in Northern Indiana, three and a half hours away. And so I went through about three or four different property managers, long-term renting this place out, not really understand. I, I never, you know, I didn't know a thing about short-term rentals, so it didn't even occur right. to me that that's a possibility. Um, and this really amazing asset never, I, I mean, it kind of limped by because there's just constant problems and, and the, the property managers weren't proactive. So a small problem would turn into a big problem because it wasn't addressed. And then those things spread with, between tenants and it just was always a thorn in my side until finally I sold the property because I was like I'm just I'm done with this I want to focus on short-term rentals uh, because I was just starting to get into them now looking back that would have been an amazing short-term rental like a boutique hotel kind of thing like where you could have turned each unit into its own unique like style and just I mean perfect location like everything about it was set up to where 
the value of it probably would have doubled. I mean, it would have been a difference of, you know, seven figures in terms of value. And, uh, I just didn't, uh, it didn't occur to me. So, so yeah, so that one was kind of the one that got away for me. Um, and if I could do it over again, that's, that's exactly what I would have done. I love it. Well, I, an interesting takeaway there too, is like, I love what you said about like a small problem would turn into a big problem. And so like that idea of sort of being like a frog in boiling water, right. Where you were yeah. probably like at the end, you're like, this is just too much. Like this is all right. Like you're like, I can't exactly. see the long-term plan here. <laughs> Like, exactly. I just need to shed this liability. It's not an yeah, asset anymore. It's more stress than than it was worth, you know, being just, but it managed totally different. It would have been a different story. So, right. Yeah. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That idea of kind of like flipping everything over on its side and just like, okay, well, wait, like, what are the, what are the false constraints I've put on this property? Exactly. Very interesting. Oh, my goodness. Well, Kirby, again, this is great. People want to know more from you. How, how can folks hear more wisdom from you? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, so the best way, I think, is to join the Living Off Rentals uh, Facebook group. Um, I'm pretty active in there. And, you know, Love I've got that. the Living Off Rentals podcast. We've got about 170 episodes of that with really smart people on there. And then um, I put together a, a masterclass for people to help them get started with their first short-term rental. Um, and that's at livingoffrentals.com forward slash start. Um, so people can check that out as well. Very cool. Well, I'm I'm down. Let's do this. <laughs> Kirby, a pleasure. Again, let's talk more often. I'm so excited to see what 2023 brings for you. Thanks, Mariah. I really appreciate it. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, good. Well, that's what I aim for is a fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. 